Welcome back to part two of our Turkey Seer Earthquake episode series, where I met with Dr. Thorne Lay, where he offered his knowledge and experience about earthquakes to Slugcast. Let's dive back into our conversation and learn more from Dr. Lay. How can people better understand and prepare for earthquakes, given that in California it is a big concern as well as in Turkey that has a lot of fault lines? Well, of course, we California is on or has within it the boundary between two big plates, the North American plate mm -hmm. and Pacific plate. And they're moving relative to one another at about five centimeters per year. Okay. That's going on for millions of years. It's been happening for a long time. It will continue to happen probably beyond human existence. Yeah. So the earthquakes will continue to occur on the boundary between these shifting plates of, of the Earth's um, shallow rocks, the crust and, and uh, upper mantle where it's stiff and, and moving coherently. And that's resisted by friction on the San Andreas. Not everywhere. There are places where it's just sliding along smoothly without big earthquakes. But there are large patches in Northern and Southern California where the San Andreas locks up by friction. The plates keep moving at fairly steady rates. That's driven by basically the earth is cooling off and it's doing that by bringing hot material up to the surface, moving stuff horizontally on the surface and taking cold material back down like a big conveyor belt. And it, it will continue to load up the the rocks around the San Andreas and other faults in California. So we know they're gonna happen. The maximum size earthquakes appears to be comparable to this. Uh, it is possible that the entire San Andreas could somehow fail in a single event and make a, an earthquake larger than a magnitude eight. But mm -hmm. um, we know for from experience that at least this size event can happen. What mm -hmm. that means is if you live in close proximity to the San Andreas Fault, there's a finite probably that you're going to experience a large earthquake on that. But there are also many other faults around the San Andreas, the Calaveras Fault, the Hayward Fault on the east side of the bay in Southern California, the San Jacinto, and many other faults. The crust has been broken up by geologic processes that have been going on for tens of millions of years. And there's many broken chunks that are moving around. That means that not just the San Andreas, but other faults could break. So what can you do? And there's very little that humans can do about the process. It's an earth process that's gonna continue. What we can do is two things. One is to be aware of where earthquakes happen uh, based on what has happened in the past. Usually because this process has been going on a long time, most of the faults that are active have had some earthquake detected. We can measure the deformation that's occurring in the rocks by GPS and other methods. And we can see where there is potential for an earthquake. So what we cannot do is tell you exactly how big and where it will happen with any accuracy. So given the level of uncertainty, if you're gonna live here, you simply need to prepare yourself for the possibility that in today, tomorrow, or within your lifetime sometime, or possibly not, there will be an earthquake. And it could be disruptive to the infrastructure around you. You could have damage in the roads and your house and the water system and the delivery of electricity and, and gas to, to the homes. And mm -hmm. so it, given that that could happen, it's a low probability of occurring, but 
Uh, simple measures can help you prepare for it and, and withstand it better uh, if, if it does happen. Probably the, the experience that we had in Santa Cruz, the last large event was in, in 1989. It's magnitude 6.9 up in the Santa Cruz mountains on a fault, of, a, a fault that's part of the San Andreas system, but probably a separate fault from the San Andreas itself. That shook downtown Santa Cruz and caused a, a lot of damage. And it took decades, in fact, for the city to recover from it. But what it illustrated was some of the problems that people experience. Um, beside physical damage, almost everybody's brick chimneys fell over in town. But there was also disruption of water supplies. And it takes a while because the vibrations and leakage of sewer systems contaminates the water. So one of the, the highest recommendations I give to my students in class is keep um, multiple five-gallon jugs of water in your basement or your garage or somewhere, fresh water, because yeah. that's the most inconvenient thing is when the water doesn't come on or mm -hmm. turn on the tap and it comes out brown and you don't want to drink it. And that can go up for days after the earthquake. So if you want to have drinking water, you need to have drinking water. Um, having some emergency backup supplies is good. That was the, the thing I found most tangible. I, I flew out here the day after the earthquake. It was putting instruments out. And everywhere I went, people were looking for fresh water. The other things are, you know, to have a, a, a go bag. A lot of people, because of the fire hazard around here, maintain the ability to evacuate quickly. So they have a bag that has critical supplies that they can throw their passports and checkbooks into and valuable photos and stuff if they have to move out of the house quickly. So that's a good preparation if there's any secondary events associated with earthquakes is often that fires will break out. We saw this in 1989. There were bad fires in the Marina District in San Francisco. And in 1906, most of the downtown San Francisco burned down. In that situation, people had to get away. And if you're a bit prepared to evacuate quickly with your critical needs, to, then it will help you tremendously in the uh, post-earthquake survival, effectively. So um, the, the other general thing that you can do is to be aware of earthquakes, right? To, to know mm -hmm. that they are gonna happen, that uh, you can expect even modest sized earthquakes can knock the paintings off of walls and knock objects off of high shelves. So making sure you're sensible about where you put things that can be easily knocked down uh, and possibly onto your, your tables, your desk, or your bed. You don't want stuff that can fall off the walls with a little bit of vibration. So mm -hmm. it's a simple measure, but it, yeah. uh, it's very unpleasant to wake up in the middle of the night with uh, you know a painting falling on your head. So you can you can avoid that by just realizing you're in earthquake country and there can be small mm -hmm. shaking. So these are not you know they, these things don't have big impacts on our lives, but but when Inevitably, earthquakes occur. Uh, it's a simple mitigation to have done, and you'll find that it reduces damage in your house and reduces the, the danger from falling objects. So it's falling objects that kill people, either collapsing houses, as we've seen in Turkey, windows breaking and falling off of buildings. Uh, th those types of um, avoiding situations where that will happen to you is, is pretty easy to do and, and it's a long-term strategy for minimizing the damage when earthquakes occur. I really appreciate Dr. Thornley for speaking with me about this. 
Before this episode, I sent him some questions I hope to cover. One of those that I didn't get around to was, what do you think are the key takeaways from this earthquake or earthquake series? He wrote in, the earth will continue to produce large earthquakes due to long-term plate tectonic motions. Humans cannot stop that process, but we can build infrastructure that will not have catastrophic failures like those we observed from this event. This requires applying well-established principles of earthquake engineering of the infrastructure, high-quality construction standards, and building codes guided by regionally varying exposure to faulting and ground shaking, with associated regulatory processes for oversight of permitting and approval of construction. Humans can do better in mitigating the impact of such natural events. The societal prioritization and investment in hazard mitigation has to be sustained. This event, while not local, reached a lot of people. It is a societal responsibility to have a response to this event as it can happen right under our own feet and continue to disrupt lives if infrastructure is built without these events in mind. Thank you for tuning into this episode from the two-part series. It was a pleasure speaking with Dr. Thornley and picking his brain about this topic from a seismologist's perspective. This has been Jennifer with the Division of Student Affairs and Success, Floodcast.